Welcome to the first episode of a new series that we're calling New Models Green Room, where we speak to artists and musicians in our community who are putting out new work. Today in the studio kicking this off, uh, we are speaking with Stephen Warwick, who you may also know as Heatsick. Stephen is a British artist, musician, and writer who is based in Berlin. However, today he is calling in from New York City to speak to us about his new album titled Moi. So Stephen, this is the second album you're releasing under your own name. And it's the first physical release under the name Stephen Warwick. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You've never you've never had physical release as Stephen Warwick? I really doubt that. <laughs> Not as an album. <laughs> um, well, given the title of this album being Moi, I wonder if you could speak a little bit about who is Stephen Warwick. So, yeah, I mean, I used to record as Heat Sick, and uh, everything was pretty much done on a Casio, run through some effects pedals. It was very kind of as is. Did it till 2016 pretty much just felt like it had run its course of what I really wanted to do. In 2015, I did this residency in Los Angeles at the Villa Aurora, and that was the first real time I'd had a moment to kind of sit down and just process a lot of stuff had been happening. And that's when I started recording Nadir. Nadir being your first album as Stephen Warwick. Yeah, I mean, that album was a bit of an anomaly. Subconsciously, it was kind of responding to those to like a deceased friend, basically. So I was just kind of processing that. And I didn't really think about it too much at the time, but then like listening back to it, I was like, oh, you know, it's quite a somber mood. But I, it just kind of was what it was, really. Also, I was starting to make more visual work again. And I don't know, it just seemed to make sense to me just to just do everything under one name. Emotionally, in terms of headspace, what was different about this album than the last one? Um, I think it's a bit more playful and humorous again. I feel like the last record was a bit more austere. And with this one, I was influenced by this book, The Mezzanine, by Nicholson Baker, which are just these quite heavily solipsistic, hyper-detailed observations of a white-collar worker on his lunch break in a shopping mall. Hmm. And, uh, you know, he'll spend like two pages describing how a brown paper bag is. And um, I was quite interested in this uh, just obsessiveness and just literally being in one's own world. You know, like we have phrases like the personal is political, like, you know, this whole like politics of me. And I guess the record is kind of playing around with that idea of this like kind of like weird rampant individualism. Well, this headspace is quite interesting. I mean, Julian, you and I were talking a little bit beforehand about the affect of what it sounds like when you've left the club and you're sort of playing back the night through your head. It's like the songs you make up in your head in the shower after you're home washing off like the centimeter of cigarettes and old sweat off your skin. <laughs> it's like you like songified the, the night and what you went through. <laughs> That's a good description. There's a kind of like, like richness, but also like ease. Like you're just sort of like almost making up a melody as you go along. But of course it's more sticky than that. But there's this kind of lightness to it or a kind of like, like, I mean, we had, well, so we had I this. I also wonder like, you know, what was the, in terms of 
creating the songs, yeah. what was the proximity to experience? Like, would you just sit down spontaneously after a moment, after a night out, after thinking of something and work on the songs? Or were they actually constructed really carefully? Have a and coffee at 10 in the morning yeah, on a Saturday and, and work for eight hours. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd say they're definitely quite caffeinated. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I was in, uh, I did this several residencies well in Zaragoza, northern Spain yeah, in the desert. It was also like the birthplace of Bunuel and Goya. Oh. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of a crazy Not place. So one thing about it is it's quite far out from the city. It's direct next to the train station but very far away from the city centre so you're quite cut off from the city in a way so I guess that had an effect in terms of you know just like being, being on your own I know film plays into your background a bit you know you were trained in film assemblage montage have both been important to your song making yes. your lyric making and also your videos and with that in mind I wonder to what degree are you reporting in your in your song making? Like, and to what degree are you then soundtracking for somebody else, their experience through the city or their experience through everyday life? I always feel like this influence of directing or something because kind of it permeates a lot of the work I do. Um, I guess lyrically or, uh, you know, some the kind of themes on the record are somewhat diaristic or it's like, you know, casual notes, uh, observations of a day. I guess something here like Joan Didion or something, you know, when she's just doing this kind of strange journalism as fiction. Yeah, sometimes they're quite spontaneous. When I was doing this residency space, you know, I was there for two months. I was recording for about 12 hours a day all the time and just really, I mean, there wasn't so much to do otherwise. So you just kind of like buried yourself in the studio when I would play live, you would like try out an idea. So over the last two years, a lot of the tracks on the record would be kind of sketches, sometimes have lyrics, sometimes not. There is this kind of in transit feel, but also, yeah, sometimes it's just really this like settled space of being in one place for a period of time and just really. That could also be the, you know, like the residue. Because when I was in Zaragoza, I'd just gone to New York for five days and uh, me and my friend DeForest went, we write together as Elevator to Mezzanine, that's like another of these Mezzanine projects. Also, we, we kind of think in terms of scenes or like, I'd, yeah, I'd say like a lot of what I do, I, I feel like I direct people or I direct a scenario. Sometimes I have dancers and I treat them like actors or something. Or if I do an installation like the grotesque, uh, that project space, that aesthetic, you know, I made these kind of gargoyles which glow in the dark. And that was influenced by uh, the Victor Hugo book of Notre Dame. But my, my real influence with that, how Victor Hugo basically did this Edward Bernays-style rebrand of the cathedral, because just after the French Revolution, it had been secularized and was quite in a state of disrepair and then there was talk at the time of destroying it and Victor Hugo wrote Notre Dame and created this monster to kind of give and also focused on its gothic nature to kind of give it a new life and it kind of saved the cathedral interesting and I didn't know that yeah 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 and I was 
super fascinated with that. So that's why I remade the Gargoyles. And also, like, I just like, I'm quite fascinated with, you know, when I was in Zaragoza as well, and it's a very ornate cathedral. You think about the acoustics of that space, but also with Catholicism, which I'm not so, I didn't grow up Catholic. I was just Church of England, which is this strange mishmash kind of Brexit religion. <laughs> but um, from Henry VIII, like, it only exists because he wanted to break away from the church. And divorce his um, wife. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. And so I always have this kind of outsider take on different strands of Christianity, I guess. Um, Can we speak about collective ritual in your work? I mean, you have a track on this new album called Salvation. We're coming out of a period or, or maybe still in it where there seems to be you know, a heightened idea of purity and sinning. And I wonder, like, anything in the social sphere is playing into your interest in collective experience of ritual, collective experience of bodies, of pain, of trauma, but also of salvation and sometimes like gnarly ways. Like, can you go a little further in how this idea of, of spirituality or specifically a carnal Catholic type of a fantasy of it, a Victor Hugo fantasy of Gothic Catholicism, how that might play into the, your work more generally as we see your album fitting into it? You know, one of the reasons I called it moi as well, because I was quite interested in, you know, like, there's that whole joke of who am I kind of thing. Um, we'd, we'd, I'd done that, uh, this play, which I wrote with DeForest. It was an elevator to mezzanine play, which was called Performing America, Iconic America. And we took the theme, the part of the title is from a Tommy Hilfiger lookbook about, like, how was America constructed through these iconic images it was about kind of the history of Christianity in America, but low-key it was actually kind of about, you know, like ideas of like borders and nationalism and like strict lines. I had this conversation with you before once in the street when talking about the Freikorps, you know, like they were traumatized from World War One, and then yeah. they were like repelled by the idea of fluidity or anything that kind of transgresses from these like strict lines of like gender or relationships or they didn't like leaks so they didn't like wetness they, they didn't like things that like yes, spill over they, they didn't like, like leaks and that was also the time when magnus hirschfeld was doing all of this pioneering research with like sexology i think as well. and the idea there um, was like at a certain point in the 19th century they defined this category of homosexuality before it had just been something a bit more nebulous and then they mm. came up with a certain definition of it but then once they defined it they could then make that thing illegal and my understanding yeah, is that he was yeah. looking at this phenomenon is that right or that's kind of the thing about you know like that idea of who am I or identity or exactly. whatever is uh, I'm quite skeptical of defining something because as soon as something is defined, it's easy to be captured. It's almost this kind of like warfare. <laughs> I mean, in an in extractive digital capitalism, it, that's exactly it. As soon as you can be read by the algorithm as this subject or that subject, you're then, you can then be You're colonized. on grid, you're like, right. yeah, you can be, um, you, you are a market basically. There is also this like quite Gen X-y idea of like, we always used to want to like smash identity. Right. And now 
it's like so obsessed with being like as defined as possible. Someone told me the other day about that term zenial, which I'd never heard before. So someone who's between a Gen X and a millennial. Ah. Oh. So, so you know, yeah, like that's you, me. Zenial. <laughs> zenial. Yeah. So you have this kind of uh, largely offline childhoods, and then your adult life is was around like early social networking sites, you know, friends down MySpace. Uh, blogs etc stuff like that yeah so you can like you know you can remember a time before that but also you remember what it's like to be properly bored or something yeah um <laughs> to, to, to be kind of flippant but <laughs> yeah so going back to catholicism ritual collective me, ritual in your collective work. ritual yeah i mean like you know we find that and i think that's i think that's maybe like the notion of why people go to a festival or something or have this kind of collective group experience, you know. Have you ever played um, at festivals, even? Is that make um, sense? Yeah, yeah, no, I've played at some festivals. Um, they're generally quite fun. I, I mean, I personally don't really understand why you have to see so much music. Kind of <laughs> well, yeah, Julian, what's your thought on like festivals like Coachella or whatever, like Gastonbury? There's no way you could see that much music. Is that not even, it's not even maybe the point is seeing so much music. The point is usually I just mean, the like, point is, like you're being in together, a, a state well, of exception. It's like a theme park. Yeah. You know, it's like, Completely. You're, yeah. yeah, you're in a, you're in this like, temporary autonomous zone with its own rules that's like entirely different rule set like the infrastructure is all provided it like feels like a safe it's like a safer place to transgress than the normal world so yeah. it's it's right. more about yeah it's more like being at a theme park where right I mean, there's a whole different set of norms at a festival than there is uh, somewhere else. So it really is just a, it's an, it's another yeah. dimension. Yeah. You know? Just, yeah. Like, like it, yeah, it does. That's a good point, Julian. It does relate to like temporary autonomous zone or something. It's just like another world. I mean, think, I almost think about it like, I mean, also think about like May Day in Berlin, right? Yeah. Totally. Like there's this yeah. day where all the norms are gone. Suddenly you mm. don't actually have to care about they're putting your trash in the proper receptacle <laughs> or worried about like being wasted at 1 p.m. It's yeah. Like, I have to say, after the May Day, whatever you want to call it, just the May Day, I'm always quite impressed how much, how fast they clean up the next day. Yeah, true. Like if, you bike, if you bike around Coppers at all the next day around like Iranian Platz, you're like, wow. That's the state's flex, right? Yeah. They're like, yeah, look what yeah. would happen if you actually, like, booted us out. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Like, you know? yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, like, if we didn't exist, yeah. you would, your bike's You're- tires would all be slashed from broken glass and there'd be shit in the streets. It's like your parents picking you up from jail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, um... Basically, like when you're like asking about the idea of salvation mm-hmm. and this kind of thing, um, my interest in religion, especially on this record, is like how much it kind of permeates our world or society and structures, for one of a better word. You see something like, I don't know, like bodybuilders on Instagram always talking about their journey, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's such a, you know, my journey is such a common like hashtag or phrase. Totally. Or, it's like quite mimetic and um part of that is a hangover from when i'd spent some time in la and i'd found it such an individualized a hyper individualized city you know like if you think of something like cafe gratitude where you have this whole performative speech act of like i am gracious i am this um 
that was a real culture shock for me when I first saw that. But um, what's really yeah. going on there? Like when one is saying, "Like here's my journey," I'm so grateful for this. I'm so grateful for that. Like, what's the real operation there? Right, it's like this kind of strange, conspicuous, narcissistic act or something. I don't right. know. A narcissistic act but, specifically of like, I'm here for the community. That's why you should like me because I'm here for others, but like in a grandstanding yeah. way, right? Yeah, I, I always think about there was this like Zizek quote of like when he like talked about this example once of uh, this, so there was some kind of like collective masturbate. To fun, and it was just like a bunch of people in the room all masturbating, and I he thought that really illustrates. That. <laughs> he would, yeah, but I just thought it was a very good example of like these people, like on this kind of like folk communal experience, but all just being like hyper individualistic and just, oh, 100%. Uh, you know, in, in their own head. Yeah, 100%. and I, I thought that was quite a good metaphor or whatever. Um, well, the other thing is, is that when you have, when you have that stance of I'm here doing good in the world, it gives you this like micro value over others. And of course I'm being very, very cynical in my framing of this, but when this gratitude, when it becomes something that like builds your profile, I think it starts to have that quality. There's a weird transactional mm-hmm. thing that's happening in that, in that assignment of I'm doing my, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for this. Completely. I mean, it's kind of like this strange tallying up sheet for like the end time or something. Yeah. It's which in itself is not very Christian. (laughs) um, I guess I was just generally thinking about, you know, like in the news, especially like political leaders, but people generally have this kind of religious zeal Mm -hmm. in their tone when they talk now. And it's, it's also just everyday people online, you know. It's very much a performative act, but Mm -hmm. it comes from like a, you know, if you think about like world leaders having this like very fire and brimstone style quality, like do some people want that because we live in a very secular or atheistic somewhat society? You know, do people watch Game of Thrones because they have some like weird spectacle of the scaffold kind of bloodlust? Like, you know, like is your attention held more when someone's got this insane of you know, course, like, you wouldn't have fire and brimstone quality. True. That's and then I'm like, oh, so it's kind of coming from this like vacuum of not being religious. It was folk an idea that was applied to the, this album when you were making it, like folk as a music as a legacy? Because I, I mean, I pick up some kind of legendary Pink Dots vibes there, and then also there's certain elements that are some UK funky drum patterns, the, the slow attack sound from grime or bassline tracks, uh, the, and then mm-hmm. sort of, I mean, to me, I'm thinking of you know these kind of niche genres from London. I mean, that's a popular informal genre. It's kind of the contemporary folk genres Mm -hmm. in a way. And then, I mean, I was also thinking some of the elements sound really neo-folk to me in terms of these looping motifs. And then you'd have these horn sections that would kind of come in or these horn improvisations. So, I mean, I started thinking of the album as almost like a neo-neo-folk. And I wonder if folk (laughs) is a... (laughs) I wonder if folk as a concept was actually something you had in your mind while working on it. I guess like folk as an idea, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I've never really listened to neo-folk, but um, that's a very funny comparison. <laughs> uh, a neo-neo-folk. <laughs> I mean, but, was there um, a musical legacy, though, that you were thinking of or, or consider yourself a part of in terms of past acts, maybe? Or a spoken word, like I said. Right. You know, like I don't particularly sing, so I'm just 
kind of somewhat between talking and semi-singing, I guess. I guess musically it's, you know, I didn't, it wasn't like a conscious decision to sound in one way. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I, you know, I am English as well, so like I, I, I like the sound a lot of that music, especially music from London. So I hear uh, Iggy Pop and of... Gary Glitter in your album, <laughs> 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 whatever that's worth. <laughs> Neo folk into Gary Glitter. Yeah. <laughs> God, we're, we're, we're really hitting all the problematic territory. Yeah, yeah. 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 pedophiles yeah. and fascists. Let's let's go. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> You've said in another interview, you said that it's in shopping that we see how ideology inhabits a space. And I know these consumer spaces, these spaces of consumption, whether it's a mezzanine or whether it's the malls where you shoot your videos, how for you has the space of shopping changed since you first started making music as heat sick? I feel like this, this, the public sphere in general, has just kind of shifted to where everything is monetized and everything is consumed now. Including like relation, <laughs> Relationships are consumed, interpersonal relationships, yeah. social interactions are consumed, subletting your flat for a very short time is consumed, your, your private sphere is consumed. Like everything, it, you know, it just comes from this idea that anything can be a market. Yeah. And um, this kind of mixture of, you know, the austerity of the last 10 years. And there's less money around. Yeah. Basically, like, we never really recovered from the financial crash, really. People spend money in a different way now. But then also people, that, that's why all these, like, sharing economy explodes. Because there's this strange frugalness where you're like, oh, look at this. I could sell this, you know, because... People don't really have that much money. Right. So, yeah, I guess, like, experience or everything is now just, like, consumed. Or, like, you know, the way we even consume the news. Like, if you look on a news website now, it just seems to look more like a social media feed of the scroll and the live thing. And Uh, So, do you want to speak at all about any of the specific tracks? Um... Like Salvation. Or like Salvation. Yeah. I made up Salvation. stories about that one in my head. <laughs> ah, um, yeah, Salvation was, the, that was the one which I kind of imagined as like a lip sync song or something. Um, of like this kind of like drag race style hysteria. Like Salvation really is just channeling that kind of dopamine rush of this zealous public address. And then the lyrics are quite dark, but then you can't really tell because the whole theme of the song is just so ecstatic or it sounds joyful, which I guess is also, you know, it happens a lot in disco. You know, there's a lot of the songs, the lyrics are actually really sad and about relationships falling apart. But Silhouette is kind of an interesting song. I wrote that when I was in, in Zaragoza, I would be in the studio all day and then, you know, there was like one or two of us living in the whole space. So it's this huge space and then it's just you and then you're walking in the dark and you have to walk through the whole space. And it's like what looks like a mall. And then in the basement is this, the studio. So basically there would be this strange passage where you had to walk in the dark because there was no lights. And then you'd see some shadows and... Yeah, basically this song is really about about your imagination playing tricks on you, basically. And, like, why do you feel like there's, like, something bad lingering around the corner Mm -hmm. when it's maybe just this, like, perfectly okay mundane walk 
you know? I, salvation really sounded like to me, I mean, the melody is, it's almost a, a melody and a sound you would imagine in like a big trance track or uh-huh. something. And then the right. time, I also, it hints towards an, a euphoric and excessive nightclub electronic music feel. But then I noticed like that one, you know, the time is actually off in terms of the rhythmic elements. It's not really snapped to the grid so tightly. It's something feels yeah. broken yeah. with it a, a bit. And I don't know, to me, it reminded me of, you know, maybe you're on MDMA or something and you're in the club and, you, and you're hearing this song and you feel like you have this transcendent moment. But the reality of the situation is you're like, you're like a total waste and you look like shit and the club <laughs> is three quarters empty. And then- <laughs> Bury your heads, you're a star. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's like Sunset Boulevard or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but yeah, yeah, it definitely does seize on that kind of fuck it. It's let's just go for it, kind of like yeah, like you might be somewhat incapacitated, but you feel fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like the American Psycho quote, you know, feel like shit but look great. <laughs> um, I do have this like ongoing fascination with like post 9-11 pre-crash deliria because it was just 9-11 was so kind of traumatic on our collective memory I mean answer obviously yes but then like was a way to kind of process that just to kind of go very solipsistic or very narcissistic or just to kind of feel safe or whatever or just there was definitely this like mad delirium which isn't a bad thing but (laughs) I mean, I feel like the delirium that came was just this disbelief. There seems to be a very rational answer for why a horrific event like this could happen. There's a cause and effect. We're fucking up overseas. Right, right. Yeah, like what's the real conversation? Exactly, what's the real conversation? Well, I mean, 9-11 also was the start of the contemporary post-truth era. A hundred percent. Right? It's yeah. like there's oh, yeah. so much mystery and weirdness around the th- around the event itself. Then the Iraq war was based on a lie. Well, and Photoshop was good enough that people were... 9-11. Right. Yeah, right, that's know, right. An inconvenient truth. And you know truth. who produced that 9-11 documentary? Alex Jones. <laughs> yes. I mean, I guess that plus this neoliberal requirement of, of taking care of oneself, solving one's own problems, one was supposed to take care of things themselves. Well, they had the, right. they had the Oxycontin ready. <laughs> that is a good point. Purdue did 9-11. Yeah, Purdue did 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, When's, what's, um, what's the best time? To, uh, to in place to listen to to your album in where where in where in headphones, um, yeah speakers I think I think headphones walking around is generally a mm. good a good scenario that's what the, um, and headphones at the club while the DJ's <laughs> playing something else yeah while someone else is playing or actually I'm playing and you're just listening to the album instead <laughs> um, um, yeah um, I wanted to have some moments which are more kind of thing you might listen to at home or like it's a bit more like the day after and then there's some moments where it's you know it's really like something which you could play live late at night you know a bit inebriated somehow you know and just in the moment yeah so yeah i wanted to have that kind of spectrum or something 
Yeah. Um, maybe one, Evan, one last question. Ilya Lipkin shot your cover of this album yeah. and Josephine Pride appears as a feature on it. You know, I think of the people that we might um, associate with your work, Nora Khan, <laughs> Forrest Brown Jr., Gilly Tall, Georgie Nettle. I think of this group and um, for me, there's there's certain qualities of a certain critical qualities which, which link these practices. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely say amongst that group of people, you know, who are all basically like people I work with and are friends. I mean, they don't necessarily all know each other. But, That's true, um, true, yes, of course. But, uh, but yeah, I'd say it's like a kind of a shared attitude or like um, that sensibility. There tends to be a bit of humour. Um, we'll take a format and then somewhat try to like smash it a bit. Josephine's photos, there'll be something which looks like a fashion photography it, it looks like it could be that but then there'll just be something slightly off yeah um like a slight detail which will just like destroy the image or you know subvert it yeah playing around with these mass images um which are in circulation and then somewhat dent in them or something yeah, there's this sense also that all that they pass in different registers, right? Like mm, it mm. passes, but then there's something that is twisted in it where it doesn't fully fit the protocol. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe it's like, you know, for want of this term, which is like thrown around constantly right now, but maybe it's like structurally queer or something. Yeah, you know, totally. In, like, in yeah. like the original yeah. sense of it, in that it, it fucks with something. But it's also unspoken. It's like hinted at, and that's where the real power lies. It alludes to something, and then like people just get it. Then you know, as opposed to this, like I am this. This is about this, and here it is, and boom, boom, boom. I'm going to think you're an idiot because you obviously can't think for yourself. You know, like. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. But it's back to the Hirschfeld thing. Yeah. It's like it doesn't need to be named. It can stay unnamed so that it cannot be made legal or illegal. It just yeah. I mean. You know, like there's questions of like access or like, like certain people have more presence or visibility. Mm. But also, I, 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 my response to that would be like, if you're, you know, like if you're like sticking out, that's only actually a good idea. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> it's like it's not a bad thing whatsoever. For sure. When I think about when I think about your DJ sets, they're really pop heavy, and I love it. Mm. Um, a lot of Britney Spears or this kind of thing. I know Britney's yeah. Toxic has already been like a muse for you. Um, X Files <laughs> is the project you did with Nora yeah. Khan. Yeah. Um, as you said, the This American West Tommy Hilfiger was a reference, um, and so mm-hmm. I wonder how you connect this mass pop culture to your practice. Maybe this is where I see a connection also to say Josephine's work, who does play with these mass consumer signifiers or tropes. And I wonder just, yeah, like what role that plays for you in in the thinking about your music. I mean, I yeah, I definitely like flirting with pop culture and playing around with what these symbols represent. Um, it, yeah, it's more like a semiotic appreciation uh-huh. of these pop cultural tropes, whatever you want to call it. Uh, If I use a certain image or a certain pop cultural artifact, it doesn't, again, I think this is like a very important nuance which has been shut down by contemporary conversation. In art, if you use a certain thing, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are that or that you like it. You can also critically use something to make a conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm not going to run around with like a swastika or anything, but 
that conversation's pretty much done and dusted. But yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you know, like it, it's. I guess like there's that this funny thing with like. Does everything have to be completely open all the time? You know, like sometimes you could have a certain conversation. Yeah, I mean, with the internet collapsing time and context, then Mm. suddenly it is open to everything. But yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, I guess like one example is like I did a Snakes and Ladders record for Soldiers. And like, as I understood it, it was a satirical take on the uh, Californian ideology and cybernetics and just this rampant individualism. Like the cover was this, a heart shape of the earth. And then I did did it and it was like Anran's signature. (laughs) And like my my comment was like, oh, like she signed the whole earth, you know, like. But then some, I remember like someone once went up to him and was like, oh, do you like Anne Rand? And I was like, oh, no, no, of course not. <laughs> you know, I was like, no. And then once I was in Russia and someone was like, oh, you used Anne Rand. She's one of my heroes. Oh, I went, that's very interesting. I went, that's interesting because I hate her. Yeah. <laughs> just really shocked. But I went, yeah. Anne like, died alone. I, I don't, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she died alone, exactly. Yeah. Her wild. circle turned against her. <laughs> also, it was something like I did grow up on that. So as I said, I, I like to play with ideas of comfort which you associate with nostalgia then what's interesting about that show for me was it really that was like a 90s take on like playing on our fears and again it had this like Bernays kind of like middle middle American middle England kind of like ideas of like the the other or whatever or like like constructing a monster or the need to construct a monster having like you know like the Cold War had ended. But, you know, there's even a line in the TV series when they're like, okay, communism's over, like, who's our new enemy? And the answer was, each other. <laughs> oh, my God, right. Yeah, so I, I, I guess, like, my interest in The X-Files was about, like, it was interesting to make a drama about plays with this question of, like, what is it that, why do we need to always have an enemy or something? Maybe that's, like, to, a way to, like, form society or something. Well, precisely, I don't know, but, you have an yeah. other, then you have an us. If you have a them, you have an us. So if you have you, you have yeah. a me or something. You have a moi. You have a moi, yeah. yeah. Support Stephen's physical release. <laughs> I was just about to, to say exactly. that. Exactly. Yes. That's, that's the new sticker. <laughs> any, any way you can, help, help with, this physic, with Stephen's physical release. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Stephen, for thank joining you. us. Um, Thanks have, a lot. Thanks <laughs> have fun me. in New York and bye. <laughs> Ciao. Thank you for listening to New Models Green Room and thank you, Stephen Warwick. His album Moi is out on Pan November 8th. To become a part of the New Models Discord community and get access to all of our podcasts, including the conversational Patreon-only Topsoil episodes, join us at patreon.com slash newmodels. See you next episode. Business.